Hello there, and welcome to episode 14.1 of The Game Pit. This is the first of a series of shorter Essen Spiel editions of The Game Pit. So we're both going to be going off to the Spiel Fair at Essen in a few weeks' time here, and we're doing lots and lots of research into the different games that are coming out, trying to decide how much of the too much money we're going to spend, where it's going to go, what we're going to be buying. So over the next week or two, we're going to be popping out these smaller episodes, and each episode is going to take a treasure hunt format in that... We're going to talk about the games and then we're going to decide between us whether they think the game is a treasure and something we think is going to be worth keeping in our collections or it's going to be a trap and not something to waste our money on. Now, Sean, what three games do you want to talk about in this episode? My three games, Ronan, are going to be the Phantom Society, Blueprints and Packet Row. And I'm going to be talking about Nations, Patch History and Colbaron. You can catch us along with a whole host of other gaming goodness on 2d6.org. First up from me, it's the Phantom Society from Funforge, and the English version is going to be done by Yellow. Designed by Frederick Colombier, who's it's his first game, and Hervé Marley, who did the Werewolves of Miller's Hollow and Skulls and Roses. It plays two to four people with a time frame of about 20 minutes. So what's this game? It's an abstract game with a bit of deduction thrown in. So the setting is, you're in Scotland in a manor house, and the manor house has been attacked by ghosts. One player is going to take the role of the ghost, and one player is going to take the role of ghost hunters. So the ghost player is going to secretly deploy ghosts about the manor. Now you can actually lift the pieces from the board up and hide the ghosts underneath in this. And the other player is going to hunt for them by trying to deduce where they are. The ghosts will be trying to cause as much damage to the mansion as possible. So every time one of the hunter players doesn't guess exactly where the ghost is, it's going to cost them money. And the rooms range between 1,000 to 6,000 points. And it's basically a game where you slowly whittle down where these ghosts might be. And the longer the game goes on and the more ghosts that are found, the easier it is for the hunter players to find out where the ghosts are. It's not a lot more to it than that now Roland I know you've got some thoughts on this one well my first thought is this is kind of aimed at families I'm guessing kids to play from how light it is now the designer one of them the only guys had a game out before he designed Skulls and Roses which is a real light game it's just a kind of bluffing game where you're trying to guess what beer mats people are putting down is how it works so I can see from there they're trying to build on that a little bit you're looking for some deduction you're trying to get on some bluffing but it seems really restricted in what you can do. Where your ghost is, you can tear up a room, but only in the eight, which are directly adjacent to it. It doesn't seem like there's a lot of options there to really bluff people out or throw them in the wrong direction. What do you think, Sean? Well, so far for me, if you're a ghost player, how much do you do other than hide the, where the ghosts are? I had I'm exactly sure. that written down. Exactly that. Complete lack of decisions. Yeah, the, the hunter's the one that does all like they're trying to guess. And there is a little bit of deduction because it's all colour-coded and there are ways you can narrow it down. But not that much. But the ghost player, surely they're just sitting there going, no, it's not in there, mate. 
no, it's not in there. <laughs> they didn't even have to say that. Because I'm not going to pick it up and look and go, it's not there. I was going to say that to you. Yeah, well, I can see it's not there. <laughs> now, one thing for me about this game that drew me to it initially was it's so heavily themed. But really, like, it looks amazing. The box looks absolutely amazing. You get this story about the manor house in Scotland, and they build up this like thing about Scotland is the place has to be, and it's the lord of the house that's called in the ghost hunters. And the laird, surely, mate. Surely. Well, surely the laird. Sorry, sorry. The laird of the house is called in these ghost hunters, and they're trying to save this mansion. And when it comes to hell, the box, it's just a, it's a grid. It's just a grid, and the theme just disappears. It's, there's no need to theme this game. It's not just a grid. It is a ugly grid. <laughs> Boy, I was thinking, again, all this build-up of the theme. Those are the first details we've got with the theme of the game. In fact, it's aimed at families, and this kind of thought there's going to be this exciting ghost-hunting game, maybe some figures to go with it, perhaps. Or... It's just ugly, brown and red and blue and green it looks like someone's 70s retro wallpaper yeah the game i had in mind when i first looked at it and read what it was about was something like mr jack i know there is a kind of mr jack type game coming out which is the phantom of the opera i'm not even going to try and pronounce the french way of saying it and i thought that this was going to end up being quite similar in terms of as rodin's just said with a few figures move around the board try and deduce where these ghosts are and do not go on a ghost hunt. but it's not it's just a puzzle that's all this game is is it an overly themed puzzle to me so far i've only seen videos and the rules to it but so far it's not looking good yeah i mean with a 20 minute game that's aimed at kids i think you know your expectations have to be at a certain level but there also has to be a level of expectation. There's a lot of ideas I find from gamers that if there is a game and it has some kind of gamely mechanics and they are simplified in any way, then that's a good game for kids. Now, that's just not true. Very young kids might enjoy this because they'll get the excitement of where their ghost is. Are you getting close or not? But once they get, I'm thinking, seven or eight or older, they're just not going to be interested. There's not enough for them to do. No kid wants to put ghosts down and then watch you do something for 20 minutes. And the other thing is that the scoring seems kind of a bit funny. And I feel like the designers have even addressed this. I think, I can't remember what it is. Is it 48,000 or 45,000? There's a certain amount of damage you have to do to win as the ghost. It seems like a real arbitrary figure they've chosen. And you can then adjust that figure up and down depending upon whether it suits your team or not. Now, it's cool, you know, the ability to adjust games is great. But when it's something as crucial as that and the designers are coming out and saying, well, yeah, you might need to change that to make the game interesting. It's making me think this game is really, really fragile. And that if you let loose a, a few of the Egypts, for example, we've got London aboard on it, they're going to break it in five minutes. I think that pretty much sums it up for me. Uh, do you want to go ahead and say this is a trap or treasure? I'm sure everybody's waiting with bated breath on this. It's a real positive start. Well done for picking a winner <laughs> early, Sean. It's got to be a trap for me. And I have to concur, it's a trap for me. Okay, the second game we want to talk about in this episode is Nations, which is coming out from Lautopelli.fi, which is a mouthful. It's the Finnish publishing team that brought us Eclipse. So there's a big Yahoo to start with. It's from a design team. It's the Hackinsons and the Rosens. Uh, They haven't designed anything before, so they're new to the game. And it's for one to five players. Its playing time is supposedly half an hour per player, but this is quite meaty. It's quite long. 
two hours and, and build upwards from there for how long you can be playing this for. It is quite a complicated game, an in-depth game. It's a civilization game is what it is. It's all based around cards, the ability to purchase cards, to build up your own empire, and then to use workers on them in order to develop your civilization. Now, there's actually a few games coming out along a similar theme, I think, this Essen, with regards to civ builders, including purchasing cards, including worker placement. And in fact, we're going to talk about another one just in a few minutes' time, which is patch history. What's making nations any different? Well, let's kind of go through real quickly how you play nations. So the game is played uh, over three different eras. In those eras, there's going to be different cards available to you. And those cards are going to cost one, two, or three money, kind of a bit similar to the Through the Ages card purchasing system. And when you purchase those cards, some of them are going to provide places for you to put your workers down from your civilization and for actions. You're also going to be able to buy buildings, which are going to produce resources for you, and the kind of things you're looking to do. And there's not going to be anything too strange here for you civilization games. You're looking to produce resources. You're looking to uh, get food to feed your people. You're looking to build your culture, which is quite important. Uh, you're looking to get in money, obviously, so that you can carry on buying more cards. And you're also looking in the end to score VPs. At the end of the eight rounds, the nation with the most VPs wins. So different things you can build. I mean, you can. there's buildings you can get. You can get upgrades to those buildings. You start with a basic kind of setup. You start with a very basic military unit. Now you can get better military units, but in this game, there's no direct conflict. Apparently the publisher, he doesn't like games with direct conflict in. So this one automatically appealed to him. So the military is kind of a bit of an abstract idea. I believe it affects start player. The stronger military is always going to be start player, which gives you first pick on those cards. So it provides an advantage. The other good thing about the game is, for each of these ages in the game, there's 65 cards. That's what they're looking to produce. But actually only 15 or 20 of them are going to be available each game. So you're going to see lots and lots of different cards and every game should develop differently and hopefully there'll be different strategic paths you can go down. Also, they say in the rule book, and they've been telling us all along, this is quite a complicated game. What they have included in it is cards for the basic game. So the first couple of times you play this, use those basic cards that introduce you to the mechanics mechanisms and then there are advanced cards and after that there are expert cards which you can add into the game and I really like that. I like the idea that you can start off by learning, you're not throwing everything at me at once. But what I don't like when people do that is, for example, Queen do it sometimes or some other publishers. Um, they give you the basic game and it's so basic you'd only ever played that with kids. And then they, when they put in the, these modules or advanced rules or what have you, that's when you've really got a game. Because I find too often people play that basic game and go, well, there's nothing to this game. There's no decisions to make until you add the advanced in. But this looks like Nations has way stepped that up. The basic game is deep, lots and lots of thought to play it. And then once you know that game, there's more and more to build on. It looks like one that could really run. Another interesting thing they've put in there is a handicap for the better players. At the end of each round, you can either get resources or I believe get victory points. And the players who are on the easier level get more resources at the end of each round. And then, so if I've played this game 10 times and I'm playing it with Sean and he's never played it before, you can stick me on a harder level. And it's as simple as I get less things each round. Apparently it makes a huge difference to how difficult the game is and also helps to balance things up without being too intrusive. It's just, well, okay, Sean, you get four of those and I'm only going to get two this time around. There's other concepts in there. National heritage is how they measure something and that's, I think, the most direct conflict in that if you're able to get more national heritage than other people at the end of each round, 
you score the points for how many have got less than you. So it's something where you're kind of racing with each other. If a couple of players are racing off to get lots of national heritage, you get a decision there to make to go, do you know what? I'm not going to chase that. I'm going to go down a different path. But if it's all very neck and neck and tight, people might be nip-tucking for those cars that are going to give you extra heritage there. So that's Nations. It's a game in which you buy cards, you place workers, there's the ability to build wonders and what have you. There's different events happen during each round which you're going to have to react to, be they famine levels we have to feed or or war levels which you're gonna have to beat with your military it sounds like it's got all those basic concepts of a civilization game sean what are your thoughts on nations first off you already mentioned it ronan it's from the people who made the wonderful the amazing eclipse so it already gets a plus point from that again something that you mentioned now i read that it was 40 minutes per player so you're starting to get up to the 200 minutes just with five players and that's recommended now is that going to be a little bit too long if you're getting up towards the three and a half four hour mark for a game ronan i think it's with these longer games like this the higher player counts generally are not best and um, given there is no direct conflict in this on other people's turns, are you really going to have that much to do is, is my real question here. It doesn't look like turns are going to be that long. Now, again, this is all speculation. It's the nature of the episode. So, you know, I, I'm not sure how many you can play through the ages with, but I wouldn't play it with more than three, you know. That could go up to five for all I know. I would never play it like that. So we have to give it a chance to see how it works with more players. Some long games really flourish with more players, like Dominant Species, for example. It's one of those I think we have to judge through play whether it really works, what player count is best. Yeah, I can definitely see what you're saying. Now, one of my things, and this is one thing that I bring up all the time, is the design of a game and how it looks. Now, it's very difficult to tell with Nations because it's not a whole lot out yet. Just seen sort of a few pictures. The artwork doesn't look great. It's not the most appealing to the game to the eye so far, Ronan. It's, I tell you what it looks. It looks a little bit dated to me. But I actually quite like it. It has a St. Petersburg feel in that it's these kind of watercolour paintings and it's very functional. There's icons there and they all seem to be quite clear. So I don't think it's terrible. I can see it's a personal thing. I can see why other people wouldn't like it, but I actually quite like the artwork. So that's me with my negatives out of the way. Now, what I will say is this game is very ambitious. From what I've seen and from what I've read about and I've had a look through the rules, it seems like it's highly highly ambitious which is not a bad thing i love the concept but can they pull it off always a concern i think as we go through these few previews i'm going to be throwing up first time designers at you and saying well you know i'd like for designers to have something under their belt before i really start saying oh this is going to be great but then how else do you get new blood in unless you trust them so my only concern is there, you know, first-time designers, are they going to pull off something this ambitious? But they did it with Eclipse. Not these designers, but this company. And sometimes you just have to go out there and trust someone. And yes, it seems hugely ambitious in terms of scope. In terms of mechanisms, it doesn't seem that ambitious to me. And again, I'm going to draw comparisons to its stablemate of Eclipse. Was there anything vastly different in terms of, of a... 4x game a space game out of eclipse not really some interesting economic stuff but actually it just covered old ground very well and i'm hoping that's what nations is going to do absolutely now where would we be without the likes of spartacus and yudo from the last lesson <laughs> two great games down is where we'd be <laughs> i think this game could be a history fan's dream because you you start 
in sort of the birth of nations, don't you? And you work your way through to the beginning of World War One. So, and there's there's luminaries and cities and the eras all come together. I think it's, it's you could be just sitting there learning about history as you play this game. It sounds fantastic to me. It kind of reminds me that I never got to do much history at school. I was made to do geography, which was you could have to choose one or the other. So I learned history from the Civilization games. I think this is going to be something similar. <laughs> slight concern for me is the, the design of the game. Slight concern, but I'm so excited to see this played and see how it plays out. So, Sean, I guess the big question for you, Nations, is it going to be a treasure or a trap? I will go with a strong treasure. Absolutely. Same here. It's right at the top of my excitement list for this SM. Nations, all the way a treasure for me. Right, so... Nations is out of the way, and we are moving on to a slightly smaller scale game called Blueprints. Now, this is published by Z-Man Games, and it's designed by Eve Torigny, who has done Expedition Northwest Passage, which you might see in Essen this year as well, and Midnight Men. It plays two to four and has a time of approximately 30 minutes. So what is Blueprints? It's a city stroke structure building game with dice thrown in for good measure and we all know how how i love a dice game so players are architects and you're going to be using dice to build structures dice double up as building materials and randomizing elements as well each round a player will draft six dice to erect a building on a turn each player will draft one die from the dice pool and place it in his own personal blueprint card, which is hidden behind his player shield from the other players. He will then add, he or she, of course, will then add a randomly drawn dice from the bag by rolling it, and it will add it to the pool. The die can then be placed on the blank spaces of the blueprint card, or on top of another die with a lower or equal value. For instance, a 5 can only be placed on a 1, 2, 3, and 4, or 5, but not a 6. The different colours of the dice, which represent different materials, score in different ways. I'm not going to go into how they score, it's quite in-depth. At the end of each round, you get prizes for different building achievements, two of which are the height of 5 or more gets you the skyscraper prize, and the materials prize is given to buildings using 5 or more of the same material all the same colour dice. Not a lot to it. Not a lot out about it, Ronan. Well, that's the first complaint, isn't it? And it, I know that you and I sing from the same hymn book here. It happens again and again and again. We get a little bit frustrated with the, this industry. We are barely three weeks away from Essen starting. Z-Man Games is no startup company, and they will have a big booth at Essen. They always do fantastic booth with fantastic deals on and surprise games and all sorts of stuff no rules what's going on z-man how am i supposed to pledge my hard-earned money towards this when there's not even rules up three weeks before we leave no component photos there is one photo up on the bgg page it is off the box how in the name of whatever you choose to worship am I supposed to say, yeah, great, I'm going to go for this game? Oh, Sean, how do we know anything about this game? Tell me. Well, the only reason we know anything about this game is I tracked down the designer's diary and he had a few photos. And basically, I lifted those rules that I just explained to you straight from the designer's diary because that's the only thing out there. 
And as Ronan said, for a big company like Z-Man Games, it can't be that hard to promote this. I know it's not one of their bigger releases. I know they've got bigger fish to fry. It's only a small little dice game that takes half an hour, probably not a lot of components in there. But still, post the rules. Let us know what it's about. Let us know. Stick a few photos up. It's not the hardest thing in the world. And at this stage... You look at other industries and you wonder why the board game industry is just two steps behind in terms of promotion and just basic stuff. I absolutely agree. You know, again, we, we both know the price is up for this game. Do you know it's up as $30? That's handy. Do I need to get money changed into dollars before I go to Essen? <laughs> I, uh, uh, <laughs> I, mean, I don't even know what to say. It's amazing. This is the biggest convention for sales. I know that people are saying Gen Con's got more unique visitors this week or this the year rather. I, I don't know. I don't, they don't even count the mess, so I don't know anyone could claim either way. But in terms of sales, because Gen Con's got lots of stuff going on, this is just people selling games. There's, there's not even that much playtesting on. There's not enough room for it. There's too many people trying to spend money. You have got, it must be, millions of pounds changing hands. There must be, because I know I go there and I spend, you know, whoa, a few hundred pounds there and and amazing amazing it would be this amateurish we probably need to stop going on about this and start going on about the actual game blueprints but as you say let's just move on let's talk about the game what we do know of the game for me it's actually something that i am quite interested in and that makes it even more frustrating that there's not much out about it because the concept sounds really cool and i like the fact that you're going to be building with different color materials and you're trying to get you're trying to mimic structures on cards that you're given and i, I really i really like the fact and i'm not sure that there's not going to be a, too much of an element of luck in it though that's my one sort of hold back on it well i think dice game that's just going to happen isn't it luck is going to be massive in there in terms of the game itself these yahtzee style games which is probably someone's gonna tell me it's not like yahtzee well i'm gonna guess because there's no bloody rules up these are stuck. I don't particularly enjoy them. There's there's none of them like that really. I go oh great. I, if they take five or ten minutes, sure, you know why not? Better than doing nothing. But that's about as good as they get. The fact that this had something a bit different with the spatial element, the ability to put dice on top of each other and, and build up, and again, like you say, the different colours score in different ways. So things, you know, would need to be adjacent to other dice or whatever the different rules are for the four different colours of dice. There could be something interesting there. The pictures that are up on that designer diary looks like it's nicely produced. You wouldn't expect anything else from Z-Man. It seems okay. Well, I can't get too excited about a simple dice rolling game. Yeah, okay. I, I, there's not a lot more to say about this. I think one of the reasons we had this in here was to have a rant. And we're not picking on Z-Man games. It is across the board. There are so much frustrations out there on that S and list this year. But for me, Ronan, I'm going to say it's... I want to say trap, but I'm I'm quite excited by it. So I'm going to say it's a very weak treasure. For me, looking at the price, thirty dollars. I'm guessing that's going to transmit into twenty five euro. There's just not enough in there. It's thirty two, just d six. I know there's other bits and bobs. There's a board and a screen and a bag and stuff. But if you put up, maybe that's why they haven't put up the rules. I feel like anyone could make this game and play it. I don't think there's anything special to it at all. All you need is a player shield and some dice. So once those rules do become readily available, what do I need to spend the money for, to be honest? And if a game's that simple that I can just play it with rules I can print off, then, you know, give me more. For me, trap. Okay, so swinging from one extreme to the other, this next game is Patch History. It's coming from Danko Games. 
Now, the only game of theirs that I have played is Spice Merchants, which came out last Essen. was a tiny, tiny little bit of a cult hit. Quite a fairly interesting little market game in which you've, you're collecting different spices and, and adding them to the market in order to, to make them worth more points. It's from new designers. I'm going to attempt to say their name. Yeon Min Jung and Jun Hyuk Kim. And... What's this all about? Now, I did mention it before in terms of nations, and it's going to sound quite similar. It's a card-based civilization game with some worker placement in which you can bid for cards to add into your nation. So far, so similar. The difference here, and, and part of the reason it's called patch history, is that you start with a base board of your civilization, and it comes in different colored squares. And those different colour squares represent different areas, be they production or political or, or warfare or what have you. Then each round there's a Cyclades-style auction in that everyone gets to make one bid. And as it comes round to you, if your bid has been outbid on one of the cards available, you can either add to it to outbid them or you must move your bid to another card. And if you outbid someone else, it goes to them and then they must change their bid, either up it or move it to another card and so on and so forth until everyone gets a card. I believe you can choose not to or sacrifice points for money. I'm not quite sure. When you do get that card, what happens then is you must decide where to place it into your civilization and it must patch in, which means it must cover over some of the cards you already have out. And there are certain rules as to how that happens Thing, water can't go on water and stuff like this but whatever don't worry about that the idea is that then you're building up this patchwork of different areas which is going to represent in a very abstract way the nation that you are building you then have workers which you can place onto this patchwork and where you place them allows them to conduct different actions and there's a whole host of different actions here Let's just say this goes into every example of what you could do with a nation. There's political actions, there's internal economical actions, there's external trading actions, there's negotiation actions with the other players. There is direct warfare in this game, slightly different to nations we just talked about. Another interesting thing is those workers, once they're placed onto this patchwork of yours, when you want to change them to change their function, to take a different action with them, they can only move one space. So as you're building up this patchwork, you must be spatially aware of what you're adding where, where your workers are, and where they can move to in order to develop your strategy. It just sounds really different and really interesting. It, You know, when you've played loads of games, sometimes it, all it takes is something to be, sound a little bit different, a little bit off the wall, a little bit changing things, and you become interested. Bad news is they weren't sure how much interest they were going to get in this game. And I guess in this case, I actually think it's understandable. Danko Games have made lots of family games before. This is way out of what they usually make. This is now a, a two, three-hour deep seemingly very tricky civilization game uh, they usually make family games i can understand that they haven't gone out on the limb here they've only made 50 english copies this is going to be the rare game for the hipster gamers at essen this year sean have you got any thoughts on patch history what i i don't i know <laughs> what what's going on I read the rules today. I still haven't got a clue what's going on. <laughs> In fairness, those rules have got uh, a unique perspective on English. <laughs> just absolute lunacy going on. It's just, it just looks a mess. It just looks an absolute mess of a game. 
I I don't know if they're gonna pull it together or not. I don't know what I don't know what to expect. I've got to see this game played because I think I've said it to you before. This game could be a don't like using the phrase because I'm talking about games, but a game changer for the board game industry, or it could be an absolute unmitigated disaster and a laughing stock. I don't know which way it's gonna go. <laughs> Um, yeah, yeah, you're kind of right. <laughs> it's it's such an interesting concept. I, I, I do mean physically in terms of components. When, when they show you those gameplay examples, do you think it looks like a mess or just thinking the whole thing looks like it could be messy? I just think I look at they show you the third, like first, second and third era. And like I'm looking at that the board as it's been made up with all the cards all attached i'm thinking how would you decipher one from the other like how do you how do you work that out it just looks amazingly convoluted it isn't my type of thing for a start i've got to say that like uh, spatial awareness it's not my game at all but take that away it just looks crazy now i'm not completely dissing this game but i'm not saying that this game is going to be terrible i just don't know it just is so far out there Fair play to them for giving it a go. It's like a concept album they've come up with. Everyone's like, oh, um, <laughs> yeah, sure, right. Okay, okay, let me throw two things at you and tell me you can't love a game with this in. Firstly, one of the wonders you can build. Now, we've all built the Hanging Gardens of Babylon and the Great Pyramids and the Colossus of Rhodes and all that. You can build Disneyland. <laughs> well, that's a wonder. I did not know that. Thank One you of the wonders of the game me. is Disneyland. Tell me you can't love a game with that in. Is it Disneyland Paris or Disneyland? I was too Florida. scared to ask. Right, second thing. and Now, <laughs> I've read the rules a couple of times. Like I say, unique take on English. There is some kind of mechanism here whereby you can go into an area which gives you the possibility of entering with another player, either a war or or an alliance. So you both, I think, choose to take this action. Now, I know that there are boards that go between each of the nations on the board and you can develop trade and stuff along them. I think it might be on that board. Again, I'm a bit hazy. <laughs> the rules made my eyes spin a little bit. But anyway, when you're both on there, you have a little chat about whether you're going to have a war or an alliance. Then the both of you have to secretly choose whether to go thumbs up or thumbs down and how they work out exactly how to do it, whatever. Basically, if both of you put your thumbs up at the same time, you're going to be in an alliance. If one or both of you put your thumbs down, there's going to be a war. How can you not love that game? There's going to be no fights over that at all. <laughs> you changed your thumb! <laughs> yeah. I can see a few table flips, that's all I'm saying. <laughs> but I'm asking you, how can you not love this game? Because I don't like flipping tables. You know I don't. I do it because I need to. <laughs> right, so definitely I think the oddest game that we're going to cover in these previews. Sean, patch history, treasure or trap? It's an intriguing trap. I, if I can, I'm going to spend my money on this game. But I think it's a trap. I think it's a honey trap. I think it looks so amazing and so interesting. I can't imagine it could ever stand up to my wild fevered dreams of how amazing it could possibly be. But I really, really, really hope it's a big success for them. I hope it gets a big release. I hope we see more than 50 English copies ever made because there's 
not just they're only bringing 50 copies to Essen, there are only 50 English copies. So please, please do well. Let's see this get out everywhere and let's see a bit of reward for innovation in board gaming. Right, I don't know if I can follow that. But next up from me is Packet Row. And this is from White Goblin Games, who are doing the multilingual version, and Pegasus Spiel, who are doing the German version. And the designers are Henrik and Ursa Berg, who are husband and wife team who brought us Rattus and Oregon. It plays two to five and with a time of roughly 45 minutes. This game is a manufacturing game with an auction and hand management aspect to it. So how does it play? Each player represents a trading company operating out of 1842 New York. And they're trying to fulfill contracts and build up points. So one player from each round will take the role of the harbour master. And the harbour master will choose one of four game areas, which are the guild hall, the docks, the market, or the bank. They'll then ask each player if they would like to purchase a card until they get to decide themselves last of all. Now, if they choose a card and buy one, the round will finish. And anyone who passed on the chance of getting a card in this round, hoping to go on to another area, is going to miss out completely. Now, should the harbour master pass, as I said before, they will choose another area, and any player who hasn't bought a card then will be getting another chance before the harbour master and so on. So, why are they trying to buy cards? Because at the beginning of the game, you are given contracts, and the cards represent the materials that you're trying to buy and ship to fulfill these contracts and also the ships themselves they are going to be sailing to different parts of the world so for instance if you are selling three loads of tobacco to sweden you're going to wait to get three loads of tobacco into your game board and you're going to wait for a ship sailing to sweden you're trying to get those elements in and then you can fulfill your contract so that's basically how the game wins there are also cards that you can buy that just give you straight up victory points at the end of the game and that's it there's, there's not a lot to this i thought this game was going to be really really deep when i first saw it and heard about it but it's not it's actually quite a light card games and the final scoring is totaled up with your victory points and how much money you've earned from your contracts ronan yeah it, it does sound really simple more so than i thought i think this um draft mechanism for cards or you purchase cards is really really interesting that's it's pretty much the only innovative mechanism there and i think it means that you're going to, have to be very aware of what's going on with all the other players it's one of those games whereby if one player around the table switches off then it, it might kind of ruin the game for you because them making a bad decision or leaving something open for someone else is going to really give them an advantage. So I think I'm glad it's only 45 minutes long. So I think it might be 45 minutes of quite intense, you know, not mechanically difficult, but concentration. This whole, the Harbour Master chooses an area. That's when you're going to start second guessing, isn't it? That's where you're going to be. Now, if they've chosen that area because they want a particular card or if they chose an area because they expect I'm going to buy something and then they actually they really want to go somewhere else. Are they trying to force me to buy this card or are they... I, I, I like it. I like this idea, actually. I think this is quite clever. I really hope that it integrates into a good game. Yeah, I think, as you've quite eloquently said there, old Bean, it's a very simple but tactical game. I think there are the tactics, as you just explained them. Uh, you have to guess where that, why that harbour master is going there. Are they trying to get everyone to use up their turn so that they can have free reign of the rest of the board? Are they trying to get in straight away in the hope that nobody takes the card that they want? Yeah, really, really interesting mechanism going on there. I like that. It brings something slightly different to 
to this genre of game. Now, component-wise, it looks pretty enough. The theme's a little bit boring, but... In terms of components, I am, I think, going to reveal a little bit too much about my psyche here. All right, I'm getting a little bit stirred by a trend on BGG. There's a lot of games, and when they're putting out their sort of overuse views and previews, they're putting up computer-generated images of what the components are going to look like. And for some reason, they really fall into the uncanny valley for me, and they upset me. <laughs> you really are strange, aren't you? I, I do, because you can see they're not really wood and coins and stuff, and they're kind of these 2D you know, representations floating in the middle of nothing. It looks like all the game components aren't on the same level on the table. They're kind of up and down and, and they're kind of, you know, 99% of what a game would look like, but they're just wrong. And they just upset me. Just take a photo of the components. Stop doing the CG thing. Just for me. I know it's personal. I know I'm a bit weird. I just don't like it. Have you missed your medication again? I must have done. Honestly, I'm looking at it now and I'm getting upset. I need to... I'm going to no. <laughs> it's all wrong. They're all at different perspectives as well. So, like, the board is at quite a shallow perspective. Then the coins are at quite, like, a full-on... Oh, oh, wrong, 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 wrong. Anyway, when looking at this, when looking at a game, this kind of simple, based around a mechanism, one thing I would do is I'd look to the designers. Have they done something like this before? And the two games you mentioned them earlier that I've played with from the Bergs are Rattus and Oregon. Rattus didn't quite work for me. Uh, I played it a couple of times. Those people I know and, and like playing games really like it. Whether I've just missed something, you know yourself, you play a game once or twice, maybe it just didn't quite click with you or you're in a bad mood or tired or what have you. So, okay. Oregon I really, really liked. Quite, again, more to it than this game, but not the deepest game in the world not certainly not the longest game it's an hour long game but a few things going on good kind of spatial thing going on good interaction between the players so it does give me hope that the designers here they have a bit of a track record so Ronan trap or treasure for Packets Row for me now it's something I completely overlooked when I went through my initial look through just because of that really boring thematic description I was like oh, we've seen a hundred of them but actually having looked through it now you're prompting I'm going to go packet row. It's going to be a treasure. No, I was exactly the same. I put it down because there was a little bit of buzz around it on BGG. And I had a look at it because of that reason. So it was nice to see that there was something slightly fresh about the game. And it does appeal to me. So for me, it's a treasure. Nice. So the last game we're going to talk about in this preview is uh, Coal Baron. This is one of the... <laughs> strangely many coal theme games that are coming out at the same time i don't know coal coal in the news recently what's going on with that uh i have no idea why there's so many coal games at Essen, and there is quite the glut of them this year <laughs> why why pick this one out from them in order to talk about it well the main reason is got to be those designers the, the michael kiesling and wolfgang kramer are designers of coal baron or gluck Ulf as it's going to be all over the place there in German. These guys, between them or individually, have had hands in Tikal, Vikings, Torres, Java, Mexico, Asara, Palaces of Carrara, Cavum, Australia, The Swarm, Artus, El Grande, Princes of Florence, Colosseum, Hacienda. I could keep on going. When these guys bring out a game, you have to sit up and you have to take notice. Also, it's coming from Egger Spieler, who make real, lovely, beautiful games. 
We've already had our customer Yudo mention uh, once in this episode they made Yudo last year. Beautiful components. This game is for two to four players. It says it's a real strange playing time. 70 minutes. That's quite accurate. That's quite, they're not messing around there. Uh, 72 minutes would have been wrong. 70 is correct. And what it's all about, it's about being within the coal industry. You are going to be looking to, you start with a shaft into the ground with no coal available to it, and it's a worker placement game. Now, in using your workers, you're going to select different actions, and you're going to be looking to build up your own pit and make coal available to you in order to fulfill orders. Each player takes turns playing their workers down onto the central board, which is the kind of shared area, in order to, like I say, build more areas onto their pit. The pit comes in three different levels, dark side and light side. There's kind of little mechanics there. You have to balance the dark and light sides. Getting orders, the orders require different coal from the different levels. So they might need three from the top level, you know, two from the bottom one. There's an action there which you can move your lift up and down in the pit and then send people out either side in order to get the coal required from these areas. You can go to the bank to make money in order to purchase the lorries, I think they're calling them, that need to go into the mine. So, so far, so standard Euro. And this really is a standard Euro. I don't think there's anything we haven't seen before here in particular. Little twists they've got on this worker placement thing, I'll tell you. On that shared board, anyone can take any action. They're never blocked. But what they do do is... If Sean had gone on to an action and I wanted it, and he's already there, I would have to put one more worker on there than he's already placed in order to take that same action. So if he's gone there with one and I just go there with two, I can then take that action. If, say, moving on, Colin wants to take that action as well after I'm there, he's going to have to place three of his meeples there, his workers there, in order to take that action. So that leads a little twist to it you know some of these actions are more valuable than others some of them allow you to make more moves with your lift some of them allow you to get more money now is it worth spending that worker in order to get it or shall i just take that slightly less good option or once the less good options fill up fill up you know then again you're thinking about it it's played in what they're calling it shifts so so three rounds and the scoring is after each round and it's slightly different after each round it becomes progressive so you score for your orders you've completed after the first round after the second round you're going to score for those completed orders where you've got coal and you fill the orders that you've claimed also then you're going to score for the different vehicles you've got now vehicles are what you get in order to fulfill the orders i think and then after the third round you're going to score both for the orders and the vehicles and then the lorries which are what you've got down in your mine it's got lovely looking bits. It's a Euro that does exactly what it sets out to do, but it's by the masters. So that's why I have to sit up and take notice. Sean, what are your thoughts on Coal Baron? Firstly, the title Coal Baron. Now, as you said, in German, the German version is called Gluck Auf, which is pretty cool because it's the a well wish or a, like uh, make sure you come back safe and sound that all the coal miners in Germany say to each other as they're shop swapping over shifts, which is really cool. They didn't really think about the English title, did they? What should we call it? Oof. Coal bloke? Coal baron? Coal baron? I'll do. Yeah. Okay, well... going to make it stand out amongst the other 493 coal games in Essen this year, is it? That's true, that's true. Moving swiftly on. Yeah, it's a fairly bog-standard 
Euro game. There's nothing in this that we haven't seen before. Now, I agree. And is this not Magnum Cell, but with coal instead of salt? No. <laughs> Do you want to elaborate? <laughs> Um, in terms of, are you going to ask me what the actual differences are? Firstly, I haven't played Magnum Cell. I've only owned it for a year, so give me a chance. The, the superficial differences that I can tell you are Magnum Cell has a shared central board and a shared mine, which you're going into. Is, is there going to be these superficial differences thematically and what have you? I don't think you, you're mining salt, you're mining coal. You know, I, get, I get what you're saying there. The appeal for me in this is that I have faith in the designers that they can do what other people do, but do it better. I think that they can be innovative at times when they choose not to, when they just choose to throw together some different mechanisms. Now, some of the stuff in here is a real stretch thematically. This dark side, light side to your pit has to balance or you lose points. I mean, that's just crazy. It's just left and right. It doesn't really make any difference. It's just another thing you have to think about. And that's what they're great at doing. They're great at making you have to think about things in a different way. You know, with Cavum, if I gave you just a quick brief description of Cavum and said you're putting down tiles in order to connect different jewels to bring them back to fulfill orders, right? Then you'd be like, oh, okay, well, that's nothing new. Tell me, what's Cavum like, Sean? Uh... Very boring. <laughs> Horrendous. <laughs> it's different. It makes you have to think differently. Unfortunately, you're unable to think in that fashion, but that's all right. We still value you. You have a unique gift. You just leave me alone. <laughs> so uh, quite a few of their games, I think on description, I'd look at them and go, oh, yeah, cool. Like Vikings, okay? Vikings is... A market for tiles. The tiles give you different colour meeples. From those different meeples, you're going to score points or get money in order to buy some more tiles. There are ships that you might have to take that can attack you and some of the meeples defend you and you have to feed them all at the end. Just a description of Vikings makes it sound like 100 other euros. It's a really, really good game because they did it really, really well. So, Ronan, Coal Baron, Trap or Treasure? For me, Sean, if this was from any other designer, it would be kind of middle of the road. A Euro looks nice from a good company. I, I'd take a look at it. Because it's from those two, Kaisley and Kramer, I'm definitely interested in it. It's For me, it's one of the most anticipated treasures of all of Essen. Well, for me, as you said, it is going to be a strong game. It is going to be a strong Euro. But the fact that it's not bringing anything new to the table, the fact that it is about coal, essentially, it just doesn't excite me. And it has going to have to be a pretty good game if I do get to play test it to make me want to buy it. So for me, it's a trap. So there you go. That's episode 14.1 of our Essence special. And please bear in mind that this is just our initial impressions. We haven't played these games. We haven't seen these games. So it's just what we're feeling at the moment. Once we go to the fair, it could all change. Keep your ears peeled for more SM previews coming up in the next few days and weeks before the fair starts. If you want to catch all our episodes, please head over to 2d6.org where you will find more audio, video and written gaming goodness. You can also follow us on Twitter at GamePitPodcast. And if you want to get in contact with us for any reason, it's thegamepitpodcast at gmail.com. Themed by Eve Aaron.